Hi everyone, my name's Lance Burdett. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking lads? You only get into, out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm -hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today, we're talking to Lance Burdette. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good at introducing myself, I guess. Um, yeah, so... Um, Lance Burdett's my name. Uh, I started off as a builder and spent 22 years as a builder. The reason I became a builder is because I had no qualifications when I left school. Um, and so I was getting quite high uh, marks in, in what we called then uh, technical skills. Uh, and then at the age of 35, I just decided to join the New Zealand Police. And I had to sit some qualifications to get in there, some extra um, university papers because I didn't have higher school certificate. And then I, um, I joined the police and they said, you're quite clever, you might want to start learning. And from there, I've now got two diplomas and a master's uh, and onto my third diploma. And that's where I really flourished was with New Zealand police um, because they gave me the skills to be able to do stuff. And um, during that time, uh, I also had depression because I wasn't looking after myself and I was suicidal. And funnily enough, I'd just become a crisis negotiator and um, over here, one of the like the 60 Minutes um, show in New Zealand did a program on me about the uh, the, the commissioned officer, because I was an inspector, who was um, leading New Zealand police negotiation teams, particularly specialising in suicide intervention, who himself was suicidal. And when I look back on that, I'm like, wow, I did do it. Uh, and so about six years ago, you know, when you're coming time to the end of your career, when you start arguing with um, the bosses, <laughs> which I've always done all my life anyway. And as being a bit of a class clown, um, no one really took me seriously. So I decided to leave the police six years ago and start a business um, with nothing more than a laptop. And my specialty then was de-escalation of angry people, of engaging with people who are in emotional situations for contact centres, right, for call centres. And that's where I started this. But I've been drawn back into most of my work today. In fact, post-COVID, all of my work, because most of us are feeling fragile at the moment. In fact, me as well. Everybody is feeling a bit fragile. Um, is around suicide prevention, intervention, and postvention. And so that's sort of my journey of where I've come from. Um, I'd like to think I'm a bit of a pracademic, so I've got practical skills. The work I deal with is neuroscience, uh, practical skills, to deal with what's going on in the world today. How do we adapt to this ever-changing world that's happening at the moment? Because, you know, we're using words in New Zealand at the moment, like we have to learn to pivot. We have to learn to swivel. No, bollocks. You have to learn to adapt to this ever-changing world because it's just getting ahead of us with technology and things. And so that's sort of a summation of how we got here today. And um, I, I, I love the work that uh, that you guys do. I think it's brilliant. Um, and so I wanted to be part of it. So thank you. 
Coppinger is red, Southall is blue, Man Marking is here with a podcast for you. It's the it's the lads, the lovely lads. It's the day after Valentine's Day, but still, how are we fellas? Feeling the love? No? Yeah. Neither of you? Yeah, I am after that. It's fantastic. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. I uh, thought I'd just give you a little loving intro, you know, in this in this loving of all periods. Yeah, I'm more excited about Pancake Day, I think, than than I was Valentine's Day. That says yeah, a lot about your relationship, Ryan. You're going to get well, more love <laughs> from Pancake Day, I think. I, th- I just think I had Christmas and then Rachel's birthday was January, mine was January, and then we've got this. It's like, you can only shop at supermarkets. How many, like, flowers and cups and wind do you need? I went, for a, I went for a, a photo frame. That's what I went for. I've gone for a... Um... There's like a, you basically write a letter and it turns into a jigsaw and they piece it together. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, sorry right, that. That's um, very nice. On with it, on with the episode. Lance Badette, we've got on today. Um, so we've got an opening question. Ryan and Ant, have got an opening question for you, chads. Lance, as we will discover in this episode, work as a crisis negotiator. So he would attend, for example, hostage negotiations. So what I want from you two is if you had to pick someone from the world of football to work as a hostage negotiator, who would it be? You're both looking, you're both looking flummoxed. Well, so, I've, Ryan, I'm going to come to you first. I'm going to come yeah, to you. I've got an answer. It, we've got a lot of blues who follow this, and they probably won't thank me for picking someone to do with Liverpool. But it'd probably be that Michael Edwards character because I feel like they'll be there going. I want a chopper, and they, they want all these things, and they end up coming away like, oh, yeah, I've just agreed to do three years in prison and hand you back and pay a fine <laughs> over, like, six instalments or something. So. And they've also, for some reason, been given Dominic Solanke as well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got Brad Jones that I'm going to swap you for here. So, um, yeah, I'd probably just go with him because he seems to be good at negotiating. Do you remember when uh, Do you remember when Bournemouth paid £8 million for that Brad Jones? Mate, they paid eight for Brad paid 20 for Solanke, didn't they pay 20 for or 15 for Ab? They give Liverpool 15. about 50 million for like three reserve players. <laughs> that then, the ma- then became reserve players for Bournemouth. Well. The man got 8 million for Kevin Stewart. Who's Kevin Stewart? Exactly. exactly. 8 million pounds oh, okay. for him, Bob. He's just Fair signed enough. four on a free. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Blimey. Crisis negotiator, man from football, Bob. Who are we going for? Oh, uh, it's difficult. Um, I, I was thinking about Pep Guardiola because you can see kind of like every outcome. Like for me, he's looking at the matrix, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's just knows everything. But I, I am leaning towards Warnock. That experience, he's seen it, he's done it, he's been there. You can just imagine him kind of, oh, come on, son, we don't want to do that. Do we? <laughs> don't want to do that. Come on, come on, son. I, mean, I think I think calling him son as well would just yes. like melt their heart. And be like, oh, do you know what? Neil's telling me not to do this. I don't really think I should. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, yeah, Warnock would be the man. I you mean, think- pair him with like a renegade youngster, get like a little lethal weapon. Tim Sherwood. Sure scenario on the go. No, not Tim. Tim, no, <laughs> not Tim. Tim hasn't Tactics got the nose for that. No, 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 no. Do you think with uh, with Warnock, it would be like it wouldn't be a pretty negotiation, but it'd get the job done. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Maybe you can imagine him, you know, just slamming his badge down on the desk, saying, "I'm done with this. Just get out of here." 
<laughs> but then they'd get him back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he'd, he'd drag him back in. Just when you him. thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They need him. <laughs> you can just imagine it, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. So I go with old, uh, old Neil. I went down a similar route that you went down, Ryan, and I went for Daniel Levy. Um, because I feel like if in, in a similar situation, he would, you know, someone, as you say, would be asking for a, a chopper, private jet. And in the end, you, I reckon that the person who was, you know, holding people hostage, the hostage taker, if you will, would probably end up owing Daniel Levy money. <laughs> you know, like he'd end up owing, he'd be like, no, you get me a helicopter. They'd be like, what? Like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure, sure when Lance listens back to this episode, he'll probably have been thinking these are a lot of excellent ways to handle a crisis negotiation. I'm sh- <laughs> I wish I'd had the chaps with their, with their thoughts at that time. So moving on to Lance then. We're going to go first to why we wanted to speak to Lance. Ryan, I believe it was it was your good yeah. self who came across Lance, I think, on LinkedIn. It was, yeah. Um, so I was, the, uh... the, the, fun, the most fun of, of all the social media Platforms. Yeah, it's where I go to get my picks, and I was on there, and I saw that Lance, uh, Lance even, was releasing a new book, um, and then I've, I've sort of read a little bit up on Lance and what he was doing, and I've reached out to him, and to be fair to him, pretty quickly he said he'd love to come on the show, uh, he'd love to speak to us, and I think it was it was evident really from the, from the minute he was on the show, he was just so enthusiastic, it was just such an easy interview to do. It was almost one of them where you'd throw your questions out the window because he, he just had so much to say and you could have spoke to him all night. So that that's kind of how it came about, really. A bit of a, a fluke chance, just, just seeing what he was doing online. But I'm really glad we did. Yeah, absolutely. And that book that he's recently released, which I think I think it's his third or fourth book, isn't it? it yeah. It's called uh, Dark Side of the Brain, um, Adapting to Adversity. So we'll pop some links up to that on the, uh, on the old Twitter sphere and you can have a little look at that. Every episode we have a, a theme. Ant, would you like to uh, give the listeners this week's theme, please, mate? Yeah, certainly. So this week, obviously, we kind of touched on it just in the opening question. We've got a crisis negotiation and suicide prevention, which is uh, we don't really look at crisis negotiations, and we haven't really looked at anything like that previously. But certainly, the suicide prevention we've we've kind of tried to to touch upon, and and we kind of go through that for for many of our themes. Um, throughout all the interviews that we've done you know we are here to try and well hopefully alleviate any any issues that that, that anyone has and and hopefully they they kind of listen to our chat and uh, maybe take their mind off things and maybe it does help so that is kind of the theme that we have for for, for today and and lance talks just so well about about all of it and, you know the crisis negotiation stuff is absolutely mind-blowing um and then obviously the suicide prevention it was really interesting when he started talking about um you know the the issues that are ongoing in new zealand and the issues surrounding covid as well and giving us like that that inside track of of what's happening in that country because we do get a lot of you know new zealand is like this haven kind of thing at the moment which is you know is fair <laughs> but you know there are obviously issues there as well so it, it is really interesting but that's our theme um if anyone comes up with another theme, please let us know. Please come and discuss it with us. It'd be great to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And if you do want to send those thoughts over to us, you can find us on Twitter at marking underscore man, or you can send them over to us on email, manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com. So we're now going to leave you with Lance Burdett's interview, and we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Man Marking. Man Marking.
we're obviously a, a mental health podcast and that's an area of interest for you. Why did you specifically agree to to come on our show? Um, well, yeah, it's, it's uh, your show in particular because um, you're on the other side of the world and I want to share what we're doing down here. But also um, we do have a shared uh, around the world with mental health. Now, I'm, I'm a bit different as you'll find out as we go through this interview and words to me matter. And so just the term mental health. So um, I'm trying to get some of the wording that we use changed. And so I prefer to use, so if you follow me on social media, it's, it's hashtag mind health. And the reason for that is um, uh, down in New Zealand, we, there is a bit of a stigma associated with the term mental health. So we call it, um, those that do call it mental wellness rather than mental health, but we all know it as mental health, right? So we still have to use that, that hashtag. Um, but the words, the origin of words are what it's important for me. And so the origin of the word mental is means of the mind. So it should really have been called mind health right from the start. And it's the, the, the wording that we use is crazy. The word stress, which we all know what that word means. The origin of that word Latin for st is stretched. Uh, and so when we start, you know, when we start talking about depression, well, that's a clinical diagnosis and it was Hippocrates, who first said, it's melancholia, right? Deeply sad, uh, a catch-all, if you like. So, um, yeah, just the term mental health. Um, but I'm a big advocate of this stuff, and uh, particularly with when it comes to men. So when I had depression, why didn't I reach out? Why didn't I? Well, what happened to the start? I mean, I'm normal. <laughs> What's normal? What's <laughs> You'll find out very quickly I'm not normal. But um, so I wanted to know where the bar was, right? So where, why did I go mad? Why did I become mental? Why did I fall off my perch and, and, and suddenly become unwell? And so I started to study it purely for selfish reasons. And then I got drawn into it, just like becoming a crisis negotiator. You know, suicide intervention was and still is my specialty in the police. I trained with the FBI and went across to... Quantico and trained with, in fact, a couple of um, negotiators from the UK were there, from the Met were also there. Uh, and so I wanted to know what is going on and why is it. And so getting drawn into this whole thing was, I don't think it was a I didn't go, right, I'm going to do this. Like um, I turned up at, a, at an incident um, on a night shift as a cop and all the guys and it was only guys then with the girls now with the guns you know the our armed defender squad turn up and they're all surrounding this house i'm like oh i want a piece of this action and uh and and then i saw a couple of people um in the back of a car talking on the phones and i'm like what are they doing and i said to the my boss I said what are they doing he said oh they're talking to the person inside the house and i'm like they're talking to a person inside the house you mean the guy with the gun i want a piece of this action and that's how it started. And then I, I didn't even know that they were involved, that police were involved, negotiators were involved in suicide intervention and crisis intervention. And so I um, thought, well, I'm going to go and have a, have a little bit of a look around. And then it became my specialty. Um, and just as I became a negotiator, as I say, I fell into the hole. And it's a three to five year sentence when you fall down that hole uh, to get back out. And so I studied purely for selfish reasons, became a negotiator, for selfish reasons, you know, because I, I wanted to be one of those cool dudes with the guns uh, and then wanted to be one of the cooler. <laughs> you wait till I get in front of armed defender squad when I talk about this. 
they really want to be negotiators. <laughs> and uh, and they say it's the other way around. You become a negotiator to join the, the armed defender squad. No, you will want to be talking on the phone. And so it's, um yeah, uh, my journey's never been a straight line and nothing in life ever is. And so it's looking for opportunities. And this was an opportunity for me, particularly when I left the police and somebody said, we want you to do some resilience programs for our staff. And I said, well, I only did that in the police. Well, we want you to do it now. And so you just take those opportunities whenever they come and off you go. And it's it's now a passion of mine. And I suppose then the, the, the position that you held in terms of suicide intervention and, and, and communications and, and that type of thing, I suspect most people have probably got some kind of image in their mind of what that may entail. Could you kind of talk us through maybe the logistics of how that actually works? Yeah, great question. And, and the reason it's a great question is no one ever says, so how do you do it? Um, and, and there's no there's no skill necessary, necessary right? So I learned the, the behavioural change stairway and all this other psychology gobbledygook. <laughs> I am trained in psychology, but let's not go there. But for me, it's 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 not true to who we are as people. So we've always been communicators. Now, the thing about it is, and so if I was to, uh, when I'm in front of an audience, I'll say to somebody, what was the name of the first school you went to? And they'll tell us and I'll say, who was thinking of the name of their first school? Just like you all were thinking of the name of your first school. So Understanding basic human behavior about how we reflect on ourselves the whole time and how can I get that person to engage with me in a conversation. Um, so we reflect on ourselves the whole day. We are community creatures, so it takes generations to change the hardwiring of the brain. Our, hard, our brain is hardwired to talk unless we're struggling with something. So just understanding for me the concept of neuroscience about how our brains function. Um, and so going back to that school, so what did that mean? That means that people are thinking about themselves and we are forward looking. We only look to the future. That's why we have worry because it all comes out of fear. So we are always worried about the future. Where is the danger? How can I stop that? So if you can understand that basic concept that people are driven to communicate and they want to, they're reluctant to talk about themselves, so you focus on that. And we ask what we call, you know, term open questions, but it really is. So I, I suicide intervention, uh, whether it was a barricaded criminal or whether it was a hostage taker, I my opening sentence was always the same thing. What's going on? What's happening? Right? That's always. Why? Because it's an open question. I know what's going on, but I want them to tell me. So once people start talking, they eventually want to keep talking. And that's the key to all of this stuff. Talking. All therapies and psychology are based on talking. But it's the first thing to disappear when we start to fall down that hole. Now, when you're going through communications with people, the first it's a three-step process, right? This is how simple it's going to be for everyone. And that's I want to, you know, really people to focus on this. You, it's a three-stage process with everything, whether it's a barricaded criminal, whether it's a hostage taker, whether it's a, a suicidal person. What's going on in their head right now? What are they thinking about? And you simply ask them, what are you thinking about? What's going on? And you, you know, I want to know what's happening. 
I want to know where you are right now. Then we take them back one step. We want to find out how they've got there. Why do we do that? Because we want them to open up in conversation more, right? So talking about our history, not where we are now, enables us to start communicating better. It helps because I'm not talking about where I am now. I'm talking about how the lead up happened which is a lot more comfortable for us. So then we start talking a little bit more and you're gaining the person's confidence. And then how are we going to fix it? How do we get that person out of that position? And that's for everything. And when I, 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 I you know, coach, teach, coach to people, um, even I do community events, free community events. Um, and, and that's the basic concept of what we do. And we talk about, you know, there's nothing, there's no clever words all you're looking for is what we term the hook. What's kept you going? Right? So we go backwards. We talk about that. And we, you, can, you can get a, a bit of a gist, but if you don't get it, you say, what's kept you going all this time? And you talk about that. And all of a sudden, their mood starts to lift. And then you say, right, you know, we're going to get you out of there, and we're going to sort some of these issues out for you. So that's the basic concept, right, of, of, of why, of how we do um, communicating in any such. It doesn't necessarily have to be. It could be just you and I talking right now. It's about what's going on right now. How did you get to, which were you doing? How did you get to where you are at the land? So let's move on to what you're doing now. It, it's, it's naturally embedded in us all, right? And so that's the key. So when you first started doing that, I presume, you know, the way you're talking about it now, Lance, would be, as someone who over a period of time would have honed their skills and picked up experiences and learned things. When you go to that first call, that first time you've got to do that, I can imagine that must be incredibly nerve-wracking. <laughs> it has its moments, yeah. And it is, and it, it does. But, but you know, I've never – well, sorry, that's, not a, that's a lie. I've had to undergo um, counselling, psychological counselling, just once in the whole – 13 years as the, I was the lead negotiator for New Zealand police. So I was uh, lucky enough to go to Australia, the UK and a few other places to America to study and to, to get involved in, in crisis intervention and, and hostage negotiating and that sort of stuff. Um, and I guess you do. I mean, why are, it's, it's a pretty basic concept. Why are old people wise? It's just because we've done more. So it gives that a, us ability to have these, uh, to, to build our knowledge base. Um, now, it is a nerve-wracking, and there's nothing worse, and I call it the, the, the long, dark walk. So as you're walking towards somebody, particularly who's suicidal and might be on a bridge or whatever, the things that are going through your mind is unbelievable. You're just focused solely on that, but what if I say the wrong thing? So we, we have a negativity bias within our, within our head, it's our minds, within our brain, uh, and it's looking for where the danger is so we can fix it. Um, and it's so it, you know, and catastrophization gets involved of expanding the negative. What if this could happen? What instead of focusing on where we are? And so um, one of the things that I learned was breathing. Now I, I coach people on four different breathing techniques today. And so before I'm even going towards somebody to control my thoughts, and, and breathing is the first thing to go when we are struggling. This is the key. So if I was to ask all of you and everyone watching this now, to sit up straight in your chair or breathing through your nose and just take a big deep breath 
and sigh and do it again. You cannot think of anything immediately after you've sighed. How about that? And all that does is what, what the, the science behind it is we have these things called alveoli in our lungs. They grab hold of oxygen, right? And when we are breathing short and shallow and when we are in this horrible headspace and when we are I'm walking towards somebody standing on a bridge catastrophizing and thinking, wow, what if they jump? What am I going to say? How am I going to do it? I just do a couple of sighs. And all it does is the alveoli, they collapse because we're not breathing fully. So somebody's like, they're little sacs that sit inside our lungs that grab the oxygen and that's how it gets absorbed into the bloodstream. They collapse or they get full of carbon dioxide because we're only filling, you know, breathing very shallow these days. And so by just doing a couple of quick sighs, clears the head, oxygen in the brain, controls your thoughts and off you go. And that's the first stage of anything. Is just continually, because we do it automatically 15 to 20 times a day. So this automatic response we have, but I want people to control it. Because as soon as your thoughts go, you know, if you daydream, it'll always end up going to a negative thought to bring you back, right? So we have three minds. We have the unconscious, the subconscious or pre-conscious, whichever one you want to call it, and the conscious mind. It's the subconscious mind that is continually working in the background that's, that, that, is the one that's detrimental. That's the one that's looking for danger. And if you hold something negative inside your head, what happens with that is um, it expands the negative. And a simple example of that is you're leaving home, right? You're off to work. Your partner at home, you shout out, see ya. And this voice comes back, whatever. And you think, ooh, <laughs> you wait till I get home. You go to work, what do you think about all day? Whatever. By the time you get home, you're divorcing, you're breaking up, the world's over as you know it, and you open the door, hi, and the voice comes back, how was your day? You're like, well, that's not right. Have a talk. When I left this morning, what'd you say? Hmm? Love you forever. What'd you think I said? Nothing. Right? So, so it expands the negative of everything we think about because we're forward-looking. So doing controlling our breathing stops all that. And so learning these little skills... Uh, and then and then learning the science behind it. So science is just catching up with what we've always known with intuition. Science is just catching up with it. So we've got the science to back up what we always knew. And this really is the key for, for men is to, to know, know that uh, we think the same things, no matter where you were born in the world. Like if I was to say to you, um, if a dog could say one word, what would that word be? The majority of people would think, woof, I've never heard a dog say that. And the reason is because that's what we've got taught. So our environment, what we've got to it, our, taught our early years, the first thousand days is the most important in our life. And, and getting a bit of it, and that's what psychologists do. All psychologists do is they take you back to your childhood and that's why they do it because that's the foundation of who we are. And when people are said to be more resilient, they uh, have been brought up, you know, with all the right skills and, and and probably haven't had anything dramatic happen in their early life. So they're more resilient. So, I mean, returning to back to your question around this, um, how do I stay safe? And I've only ever had to have counselling once, uh, and that was from a major, major event that we ran over here. Um, because I'm following one, I'm following a process. What's going on? How do they get there? And let's, you know, and with the feeling of getting them off the bridge or getting to put, put the gun down or whatever is euphoric. 
right? And so it's the dopamine that comes after that that rewards you for it. And that's my reward enough. But because I'm following a process, because I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about, what's my next question? And all you do is follow the person's lead. You just ask. All psychologists do is they ask, you know, you've probably got Dr. Phil over there. Um, watch Dr. Phil. All he does is ask a question after what they've just said, and that's what it is. And so that's just, it's, just, it's that simple, to be honest. Uh, it's trying to control those thoughts. And so, yeah, it, it is stressful. Um, how do I look after myself? Well, I do the breathing all the way through. Um, I do a debrief afterwards with myself, and, and we fill out forms, which is a debrief. Uh, and then I go and talk with people, and we just talk about what happened, how it went, um, and that's enough. You know, talking is the key to all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole time I was I was listening to you there, and so the one thing that I was thinking about was, it's it's the type of job that I listen to, where I I feel like my my instant reaction would be if it was. If it was to go wrong, I say wrong, but if, if you didn't get the yeah, outcome yeah. you wanted, how do you find, Do you is it hard to reconcile with that not blaming yourself almost, if you know what I mean, trying to remove the responsibility of the scenario? Um, yeah, so um, that's an interesting question. I've, I'm like, I've got a 100% success rate. Um, so I'm very lucky and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's because I had depression and was suicidal. I, in fact, I had suicidal ideations, thoughts of killing myself. So having been there, um, I sort of know what's going on inside people's head. But but as a New Zealand police negotiator, I think we've only lost two people in the last 20 years while a negotiator has been present. So we've got this um, this wonderful skill set, and it came from the Met Police. We've got the Met, the Scottish, um, so we've got uh, their intervention strategy and the FBI. Americans talk slightly differently, but we've got that, and we've just brought them all together and developed this whole unique program, which is working. Um, it, it's the only time, as I say, I'll go back. The only time, and then I'll tell you what it was. It was it was we we had a guy um, over here in New Zealand who um, shot three police officers, shot three cops, killing one of them, and shot his neighbour with high powered rifles. He was ex military, and and so he shut down the whole town with high powered rifles, and he was firing off into it. So right at the very end, we we we, we were doing what we do is. is crisis negotiators intervening and we got told by the headquarters that it ends at four o'clock you've got till four to get that person out of the house or we're going through the door and so we had to do all and we used every technique we could and there's one technique that you never use and that is to put the partner of the person in the house on the phone but we had sort of no option and we, we balanced it with a few other things but at the end of the day the guy committed the guy killed himself right so he wasn't suicidal so that's that's why i say we still got the 100 percent success rate um he was he was a, a mad criminal we're absolutely mad mad as a snake um yeah really bad he was a drug dealer and all that sort of stuff so he was a, a really bad bad guy but you still try and get everybody out right so that's what the role of a negotiator is everyone lives uh and that took a hell of a toll on me um because i'd remembered this from from some other events um, and I thought well let's try it and let's see it's it's the last option and and when he did you know you just sit back and you think he killed himself because of my tactic you can't not think about it uh, and that's why he had to go for counseling and you have to 
It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. I don't know if you've got this these these sayings over where you are, but over here we've got this saying: "It's okay not to be okay." And again, yeah. I go, it, it, "Well, you've got well. It, look, it, it it it's it's not okay not to be okay. It's okay to say I'm not okay. Do you see the difference? Mm. So it's it's it. Yes, it is okay uh, not to be okay. I understand that." But for some people, they'll say, well, they're saying it's okay not to be okay, so I'll stay where I am. It's okay to say I'm not okay. And um, I, I'm going to disclose this to you guys, but I'm, I'm fully covered in tattoos. Um, and the tattoo on this arm here, and it's a, just so you can see the bit of it, is um, a, a man screaming, me, screaming out for help, right back, and, uh, looking out for help, right, trying to reach out but couldn't. And around that is all these hands reaching out, people saying, I'm here, I'm here. But you don't hear them. You don't see them. And so when it comes to men in particular, um, and, I, and I've got it in my book, there's this narrative of, hey, mate, how's it going? You know, that's how we talk in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, mate, how you going? <laughs> that's how they do it in Australia. Um, and it, it talks all the way through about this narrative. What's going on? You're not your usual self. Uh, and so it goes through this whole conversation. And it, once that's finished, I, I sort of say, why don't we have a code? And I think this is the secret to, to getting men to open up when they are struggling because women are good communicators, aren't they? You ask a, a woman, a lady who, if you're struggling, what do you do? Well, they talk, they cry, they hug, they move on, mostly, mostly, not always. Um, but men don't. So we're not wired to do that. Men, if we showed emotions thousands of years ago we were killed so we have five major emotions the biggest one is fear and that's what keeps us safe and alive uh joy love happiness is the only positive one and there's, there's the other the other three or four um, and and they become a, a a palette of 50 at least 50 different emotions so the same one so uh, thousands of years ago if we if we showed fear in our face or spoke about how scared we were we were attacked by our enemies or wild animals, right? I'm talking millions of years ago. Depends on what book you read. <laughs> Thousands, millions, whatever. So at the beginning of time, if you like, right? So we've we've learned to compartmentalize and to shut up and to put on that brave face. Now, in recent times, and I'm talking the last 50 years, it's, it's morphed into this um, take a concrete pill, harden up. You know, I was told that. I went for help in the police and I was struggling. And I remember him, he said, sometimes, son, you just got to dig it in. Oh, good talk, boss. Thanks so much for your help. Went back to my desk and had a huge meltdown and wanted to jump out the window. And so it's um, it, 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 we're, we're wired to do that. So a simple um, code, if you like, because men won't reach out when they're struggling. So I, I show people how to identify when people are struggling and what to say and do. And um, But some people do. But how do you say I've failed? How do you say that I'm weak? How do you tell somebody that there's shit going on in my head and I just don't know what it is? Well, how about using something simple like my head's effed? You know what I'm talking about there, eh? What about that? Because that's easy to say, isn't it? I think my head's a bit, right? It makes it simple to say. And so if you can do that and you go, oh, is it? Right, let's talk. What's going on, mate? And that's how it works. 
So if we can, we have to talk about this stuff. And that's why I came, I loved it when, when I got the message from, from you guys. Talk about this stuff. It's not weak. Our brains are wired, men's brains in particular, we know this through neuroscience, are wired to compartmentalize, to put it into a box, all of our emotions. You know, if I was, if, if you were sitting at home and somebody brought a little puppy home, a little dog, and starts running towards you, in your head, men are thinking, look at the little puppy here, it comes, here it comes what comes out of our mouth, that dog pisses on the carpet, I'm going to throw it outside. <laughs> or we go and see a newborn baby, freshly hatched, mum's got it all wrapped up. And a man looks at it and goes, look at the little baby, that's cute little baby, isn't it? And mum says, do you want to hold it? And you go, no, nah, I'm good. Or we go, okay. Right, so we're wired not to show. So we, it's uncomfortable for us to do that. It's uncomfortable for us to reach out. So it's important we reach out to each other as much as we can. Lance, with your own personal struggles in the past, once you understood the brain a bit more and learned the science behind it, was that the catalyst for the improvement or was it something else that improved it? Was, was understanding it enough for you to get over it or...? What was the change for yourself? Yeah, look, um, I, I, I'm just I'm just looking up at my bookshelf at a book that was given to me, um, and it and it doesn't make any sense to me right now. But I was it, it started off I wanted to understand what was going on, right? And and I was I was given this book, um, um, Louise Hay, um, Heal Your Life, and I read it now and I go, really. <laughs> <laughs> Really? <laughs> to me, it's a load of bollocks. But it helped, right? Because it was the right, and, and, and I had to go to, I mean, you have got to go to a psychologist. You've got to, you've got to, you can't fix yourself. And so I, I, I read this book and I was like, wow, what else is going on? Now, it's a great question you ask. Why? Because, um, in April 2020, in other words, just last April gone, there's been some research come out about um, this. Understanding how our mind works or our brain, you know, our mind is part of our brain. Understanding how that works enables us or gives us the greater opportunity to fix it. Now, I'm going to take all of you on a journey, right? So what yeah. I'd like you to do now is I'm going to say to you, that anxiety and or depression is in every family in the world and it's in your family and right now you're thinking about that person, right? And because of that, you, your mood has dropped. That's how the brain works. We have three major parts to our brain. The first one is the brainstem. Forget about that. It's automatic. <laughs> it just keeps us alive. The next is the limbic system. And inside the limbic system, is it's a complex beastie. There's, and we're knowing more, learning more and more basal ganglia and hippocampus, long-term memory. It's got the amygdala, which is responsible for regulating our emotions. It's, got, it's a complex, really, really complex. That wrinkly bit that we see from the outside is our cerebral cortex. That's our higher learning and a few other things, eating, sleeping, blah, blah, blah. Um, and prefrontal cortex is where we spend most of our day. That's the last part to develop. So we, we start growing into our brain at two. Why is two-year-old kids just little darlings? Because they're growing into their brain. And when we grow into our brain, the limbic system 
it comes alive. And that's what's happening at the moment in the world. Our limbic system is becoming alive. Now, every piece of information I tell you here today, you are reflecting on yourself and I'm changing your mood because it's tagged with an emotion first in the limbic system. Is what Lance is saying right now, is it a danger? Is there risk? So it's looking for danger. And now because our brain is going faster than ever before, because we've got too many decisions to make, we've got lots going on, technology, et cetera. We are, the only time our brain ever went fast in history was when there's danger around. And so now it's looking for danger that isn't there. And basic physics, it makes it up. And so that's how it goes. So to lift your mood, we can either do one of two things. We can do the sigh, or let me, let me try this with you. I want you to think right now about a holiday you went on that sun was shining, you know, you're out drinking, whatever it might be, you're partying or whatever, sitting at the beach, swimming, you know, the holiday, a really nice holiday you went on where you're buying stuff or whatever. Think of it now, right? So do you feel better? Yes. Why? I smiled. Yes, that, that's the man. <laughs> that's the man. You're smiling. Now, you see what happened in that very short journey? So what happens is, is it emotions, is it thoughts, or is it feelings? Now, to understand this, that every piece of information is tagged with an emotion subconsciously, in fact, unconsciously. The first thing that happens is our emotions. Our emotions, our, the amygdala, these little little um, little things that sit inside our neurotransmitters inside each one and each lobe, they are looking for danger and they'll find it, they'll make it up. And so as soon as that happens, the thought appears. So as I said to you before, if you daydream, it'll always bring you back to a positive, a, a negative thought rather. And so it brings you back to this negative thought, uh, which changes your mood, which is what I did. I forced it on you. So by thinking about the holiday, you've changed your emotion and that which lifted your mood. The same thing is if you, uh, you know, rub your hand on something soft or something nice or or, you know, you've got a cuddly blanket, and that's why those big weighted blankets are great for people at the moment who are struggling, feel insecure with COVID. They get those big weighted blankets, and it feels nice, which changes their thoughts that they'll be safe, which affects the emotion. So it's the emotion comes first, brings the thought, gives us the feeling. That's how it works if we don't think about what we're thinking about. So I hope that's that, that showing you that every time you daydream, every time you think about something negative, you can actually dismiss it, give your head a flick and dismiss it, get rid of it, because it's just your emotion regulator, the amygdalator, saying, hey, there's a bit of danger here. Hey, you've done this wrong. The longer something stays up here, it adds to it. it what it, what it, Catastrophization, I mean, what are the stupid words they use? Catastrophization. All it's doing is expanding the negative to make it easy for you to fix it. And the worry spiral, I do a lot of work around worry because that's how it all starts. What's the definition of anxiety? Worrying thoughts, according to the APA. So dealing with worry and doing practical things, you have to do something practical. So look, I deal in the this space of resilience and I see and lots of people doing good work, you know, mindfulness, meditation, hug a tree, have a hot bubble bath, you know, all of those sorts of things are good for you. But they don't fix 
what's going on up here. They make you feel good, but then when you get out of that bubble bath, you're like, well, I'm still here. And this is so one of the chapters in my in my book is around uh, so I couldn't kill myself. Now what? Because no one ever talks about survivors. No one ever talks about I was I couldn't, you know, I couldn't handle life, and then I couldn't kill myself. Now what? And so now what is you've got a particular skill set like I've got. So those of us who've been through the mire, had have been down on that horrible dark hole, have got an obligation. We've been given a gift, an insight into a dark place that more and more people are starting to go to. So by doing what you guys do, and that's why I'm here, because I love what you do, because it's not just one organized. It's not up to one organization. It's not up to the government to fix the stuff. It's up to all of us. We're community creatures. And so, you know, we've got to take, but having an understanding of how the, the function of the brain works gives us that ability. So I just take neuroscience and put it into plain language. See, the other thing I want to I want to talk about if I can, um, and I know I can. You, you're wishing you never got me on the program. No, I'm <laughs> so, loving every second. Just honestly, every bit of information you provide is is great. So just quickly before you before you jump on to that, have you ever read Thinking Fast and Slow? Yeah, I have. I've just that's another one. I've never read it. I've, I say I'm halfway through it now, and it, it, it touches on a lot of what you say, your, your initial reaction to things, and then the second system in your brain, which is almost not your, your go-to instinctive motives, but your, your when you've sat down and you've, you've processed it. I get that all the time with my little nephew. If he's running yeah. around the garden, you assume he's going to fall and hurt himself. It's like a natural anxiety that comes over you, and then you have to, as you said, shake it off. Um, so it's strange. How, how do you you've use that then as a practical piece of advice so obviously you you use your advice in very extreme situations whereby you're literally talking somebody off a ledge but if you are an everyday man who's maybe low self-esteem high anxiety how can they use that in a practical world is it more as a coping mechanism yeah look and it, it, it's so true so now that you know that this is the way we are wired as as men right so and look i travel a world i used to travel the world not anymore. <laughs> Some COVID did that. But I'll be back. I'll be coming to a place near you. Uh, and so um, understanding that it's not our fault is the biggest thing, right? So it's not us. We haven't failed. What's, what has failed is the wiring in our brain. Now, something else I just want to cover, if, if I may, you do have to do something about this and you have to take action. So we can hug the trees, we can do the climb, we can jump out of planes, we can do all these exciting things to get, you know, to distract us. But when it comes back to it, you still have to take some action. You know, and I, I do this in my sessions. Um, I'll say to people, right, I want you to imagine yourself as a millionaire. Visualization. Now, visu don't get me wrong. Visualization is powerful, very, very powerful. Visualizing yourself as being well again is very, very, very powerful. But you still must take some form of action. And the biggest action is to ask somebody or to tell somebody, hey, mate, I'm not doing too good. What do you mean? Well, I've just got some shit going on in my head. It's ourselves talking to ourselves about ourselves. Nothing good happens in there. Nothing. 
And so we've got to express it. Why do why is talk therapy so good? Why do psychologists base their work on on that? Because it works. And so you've got to reach out. But certainly you can do some other things. And the, the three things that keep us all well is socialization in this order, socialization, exercise, and sleep. Those are the three major things. Now, diet, yes, you know, the, the food you eat, simple one for that is eat as natural as possible and try and avoid sugar. But if you do have sugar, if you do have processed food, sun still comes up. But if you've got a better, you know, because the, the, there's a natural track that goes from the brain to the heart to the to the gut, and that's what gut instinct is, right? And it talks to us. It's sending signals up and down all the time. So the better you eat, the better the signal is. Makes common sense. But those are the three things. So talk about people with what's going on inside your head. Uh, you haven't failed. You're not a loser. You're none of those things. You've just been overwhelmed with what's been going on in your world. And then the natural instinct of that has been coming on. Plus, we are not wired to look after ourselves. We're wired to look after others. Let me ask uh, you guys a question, three questions. I want you to um, think about one thing you're grateful for in your work life, other than the fact that you've got a job. I want you to think about one thing you're grateful for in your personal life. And then I want you to think one thing you're grateful for about yourself. Now, chances are for your um, work life, you were thinking of the people you work with, your colleagues, or those you help. Chances are for your personal life, you're thinking of either your family or friends or both. And for yourself, you had to stop and go, I'm kind. <laughs> the single word, right? That's our default settings. If I was to come to you and say, how you going? Good morning. How you doing? Good. So I stop and go, are you? I do a double take because that's our automatic response. Can I give you a hand with that? No, no, I'm good. Got it. So we have these automatic responses because we want to help others. Well, I want everyone out there to be a little bit selfish, to be a lot selfless. I want you to look after yourself first. I want you to look after this. This is more important than this. But we can affect this with this. So exercise is the second thing. So Now, it's a 15 to 20 minute walk. That's it. You don't have to go and bust it out in the gym and spend an hour and a half. You don't have to do that. All you need to do is to burn off adrenaline, to burn off cortisol through exercise, and also dump endorphins into your brain, which are a feel good, like dopamine, like all these other oxytocin. There's all these good chemicals. It, and endorphins give you ideas. So that's the second thing. The third thing is sleep. Now, if anyone wants it, we've got a document from our website that you've got to go into our website to get it. Lift my Google rankings. <laughs> and if you go if you go in there, um, it's free. We'll just, you fill out the details, click on contact us, come down, sleep tips, click on that. And we, we don't have this automatic systems. So like you, we, we, we're real people doing real things. And somebody will actually send it back to you. And, uh, and it's got in there breathing techniques, um, how to get to sleep. Um, how, you know, here's a simple thing. A lot of us wake up between three and four in the morning. That's our digestive system. So all you've got to do is have a small piece of protein right on bedtime. Walnuts, almonds, soft-boiled egg, a little bit of cooked meat, um, or cheese. You know, cheese will give you unusual dreams. And if you want to know what an LSD trip is like, have blue cheese just before bedtime. <laughs> anyway, 
back, don't ask me how I know how what LSDs are like. I grew up in the seventies, and so it's, <laughs> it's still a piece of protein keeps our digestive system going, and it works for ninety percent of people. So there's all those tips are on there for you. You know, the the biggest mistake we make, particularly COVID, is we we're so tired because our brain, our subconscious brain, mind is working all day. So we um we go to bed early, an hour earlier than normal. And the first thing that happens is that voice comes inside your head. I'm glad you've come to bed early. I've got a couple of questions to ask you. Well, go on then. I've got time. I've got time. right? We're doing it. We have a narrative. We have an internal narrative. And, and look, here's how we're all the same. Have you ever sat next to the emergency exit door on an aircraft or a, or a, a train or a bus? And have you looked at the handle and wondered what would happen if you pulled it? Yeah. Most, most <laughs> And people don't talk about that stuff. How, wh- who do you talk to the most in your day? Yourself. And if you're sitting there going, no, I don't, you're doing it right now. Um, that means we've got a voice inside our head. We've all got a younger self. It's half our age. Um, we all have a, an inner critic. We do something wrong, it beats us up. We all worry. So we all have these similarities. Um, we all, you know, we're all reflecting on ourselves. We're always looking forward. And we are more similar than dissimilar and understanding all of the stuff. Don't believe a word I'm telling you. Go and look for yourself. This is the key. Take some action. Reach out to somebody. But if you don't want to reach out, go and launch your wrong. I, I challenge you to. I work in universities with faculty. I go to do their, their keynote stuff because they kind of like the way I talk about neuroscience. Because all I do is, and I don't dumb it down. All I do is put it into plain language. And I, they can't. I have psychologists follow me because they can't. They're trying to trap me. Good luck. But go and find out for yourself. Because the first piece of information we get into our head is what we will always. So I thought that I had depression because my mum did. It's genetic. We know that genetics is, is only a small portion of it. A small portion now because of neuroscience. So it's not necessarily, and we know with epigenes, with epigenetics, you can mask your genetic disposition to depression by taking positive action. So we can change the wiring of our brain, absolutely. And so that's the the key message here is don't wait. Get off your butt. You're a champion. Go and talk. Great advice, great advice. And. I always bore the lads with the diet talk, so I was having a laugh with them before about how it's right up my street. But a lot of your immune systems in your gut as well, isn't it? And and keeping yeah. yourself healthy will obviously help keep the brain healthy as well. If somebody comes to you for advice, where would where would sort of looking after yourself and getting up and maybe somebody who's not comfortable with exercise and doing those yeah. things, where, where would you start? And where would you place the importance on that? So, um, so those are the, in that order, right? So it's talking, it's exercise, and then sleep. Um, and so I always say to people, you know, reach out to me if you don't want to, don't know. So you can go to all these um, self care services and the lifelines and things like that, which are very good to, to you to, to man to man marking. And we can go to all of those things, which are very very good. You can go to lots of websites, um, but start doing something, right? So sitting back, nothing changes if nothing changes. In fact. Uh, with mental health, it gets worse. If, if 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 something will change, if nothing changes, because of catastrophization, it'll take us down that big hole. And that the longer you spend going down there, the more difficult it is to come back. But you know, when you've been down in that 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 hole, 
we are better than we think we are and stronger than we think we are. So I, and I'm the weakest person. Yeah, I've trained with I've trained with Special Air Service, right? SAS, UK, um, New Zealand and Australia. Very lucky. I was only a negotiator doing training exercises. Oh, you see, <laughs> our, our, our brain makes things up, right? I was sent to the Delhi. In fact, I was sent to the London Olympics and the Delhi Commonwealth Games. Still got the medal. Um, still got the uniform. Oh, yeah, I was a police officer and I was embedded in the village. Uh, and so, everyone, but everyone got a medal for turning up. So I was at the London Olympics, right? And that's so why you're an Olympic gold medalist. It's a medal and it just says you attended. <laughs> <laughs> I got a few of them as a kid on sports day as well. Not quite the same, but. It's not the same, is it? <laughs> you know, I actually operated with the UK because at, at the London Olympics, they had the SAS there and that they'd been deployed overseas and they'd come back and they spotted me a mile off. Um, and, and in fact, they were in the village and they were they were embedded in with the athlete village where I was in the in the house next door. And they spot, I didn't spot them. They spotted me a mile off, and they, the word came through saying, "Hey, um, there's been three three dudes turned up, <laughs> and they wanted to talk to you." Uh, and I guess it's about police matters. I went and went and found them, and so we ended up doing little having some fun with those guys gee they're great nice. and they, yeah they are really good guys so but you see how your brain made stuff up as i was talking yeah you know all my tattoos and i talk about and people don't like if i can show you i'm fully covered um it's about my journey into depression and and how i was suicidal and how i fought it the one under here is is a, it's and i rub it because it hurt it was eight and a half hours non-stop and it's got such fine detail because i wanted it to ca encapsulate something that happened to me I was suicidal. Um, I'd taken time off work, and you just want to check out, right? You're just like, I'm done. I've had enough, right? So it's just it's the flight now. So you've fought, 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 flight. And I heard my kids playing in the backyard, and I just went, oh, shit, I want to be here. And that was my hook, my family. And so I sat there in that moment and did exactly what my psychologist said, but this time I meant it. This time I reached into my heart and, and, and not listened to my head and it changed my whole mindset completely, flipped it on its head. And so this is a, a fist coming out of a whirlpool, the darkness squeezing a human heart, an actual human heart with blood and it's squeezing it and it's me reaching inside myself and going, you got this, you got to got it. <laughs> and so that's how it, how it yeah. works. So, so don't listen to this, hey, listen to this because this knows best. And, and just before we, we started recording, lads, we were talking about this being a massive issue within men, and I know you've got a lot of thoughts on that. So could you just maybe go into a little bit more depth for why men are so bad at showing their emotions and talking and doesn't come as natural? Yes, and it is to do with the hard wiring from, from thousands of years ago, right? So we men have always been the ones that have gone out to fight, that have gone out to hunt and gather, that have gone out to do all sorts of things. And and so if you go back in time and if you look at um, cave drawings, um, so humans, uh, their cave drawings were a great description of the emotions, right? And so you'd see this big, huge saber-toothed tiger and a little man, right? And so we know through... Um, anthropology, etc., that um, and archaeology that that the animals weren't quite as big as they were shown on on cave. So we knew that men were always fearful, 
But if we came to encounter a wild animal, or if we came to encounter a uh, an enemy as, as, as time got on and we started the war against each other, um, if we showed emotion, if we showed any fear, any insecurity, um, then we were killed or attacked. And because of that, we then started to do it with all of our emotions. The only emotion that men openly show is laughter. That's the only one. We don't show fear. We don't show grief. You know, seldom do we cry. Although I'm talking to a generation right now that do. So the wiring of the brain for younger generations, and, and three of you fit into those generations, baby boomer, we still have that. In fact, we really got quite... Yeah, uh, this generation need to need to open their eyes um, and and look at the young completely different because the wiring of the brain's changed. When I when I get in front of young men, I'll, I'll say to you and I'll ask you this question: um, with younger men, and I'm talking if you're under the age of thirty, half of you when you've got a problem, half of you says, "I really do need to reach out to somebody." I really do, and the other half is saying, "Suck it up, sweetheart." So you're in that 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 push pull of I need to talk, but something's holding me back. And what's holding that back? Um, yes, it is uh, embarrassment. It is the failure. It is all that stuff. But that's not our fault. That is simply a case of the fact that that what that is what evolution has done to us. And so the way to force change. Now, I've got grandkids. Uh, I've got a, a grandson and a granddaughter they think identically and they're even talking identically as far as emotions go. So the wiring is changing within, within neuroscience. It shows us that. Um, and why are young kids struggling today? Because they can compare themselves with more people than ever before. Because we didn't have the internet. We, we could only compare ourselves with our immediate mates, with our friends within our circle, right? So that's all we could compare ourselves with. Now, though, um, we can compare ourselves with millions of people with the social media that we've got, and that's detrimental to your well-being. And so it's about reconnecting with, with each other, just like we can do it like this, like we're doing it now, reconnect with people, connect with people around the world and start talking and finding out that we are the same but different. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I was reading a study on Indigenous cultures, and it was saying how... You touched on earlier about adrenaline. So if a, if a wild animal was charging at them, they'd use that adrenaline to get away from the dangerous situation. But very quickly after that situation had passed, they would be heart rate would be down and they'd be laughing and joking and they would have moved on. Whereas it seems that a lot of people in today's world live in constant adrenaline and anxiety yeah. states, much longer than evolution's ever told us to be in them states, which was fight or flight. Mm -hmm. It was quick quick and easy decisions that you don't even think about to get you out of a difficult situation. Do you think it's a problem that humans are now in a state of anxiety for days on end and weeks on end? It's a problem. Yeah. It's, the, it's the problem, right? So fight or flight, um, we don't talk about our fears and our insecurities and our, and our thoughts. We don't talk about that because that's been taken away from us because we've got social media and we can do everything like that. So we communicate less than we ever used to. Um, we go through 15 to 20 fight or flights a day. Uh, why? Because our brain's going faster. We've got too many decisions to make, too much information coming on. And I've got two screens going here. You might hear, I don't know if you can hear, but I've got emails coming through right now and because our day's just started over here. So I've I've got all these things going on. I'm getting interviewed by the media today and, and I've got to do some podcasts and some filming this afternoon. So I've got all that going on, right? You know, just 
go for a cup of coffee and you decide you're going to have, what shall I have? And you look at that board and you think, shall I have a, shall I have a flat white chimacchino, a cupuccino, a frappuccino? Oh, it's lots of chino. Shall I have a takeaway cup? Shall I have here? And you go through the whole narrative, you know. Why would you put flavouring in coffee? I mean, you talk to yourself the whole time, you open your wallet and there's that, oh, shall I have to use that 20 pound note? Oh, I don't want to break that 20 pound note. What's your credit card? Should I have a debit card? Oh, I've made this one with airports, flybys. I don't know that one. You look at that machine, do I slap it and turn it, turn it touch it, touch it, click it? Should I need a coffee? Oh, you've got one. You know, people are finding now they still have to look at the dashboard of their car to see which side to put the hose on when they're when they're filling up with petrol, right? When they're gassing up the car. And so we've got way too many decisions to make, way too much on our mind, way too much, too many things going on. And then when people do start to become unwell, one of the things I say, apart from showing them the breathing technique, we've got this wonderful breathing technique we do that takes um, it takes two minutes to do, and um, and, and it, it all it does is put you into the alpha zone. And you do that twice a day and it just allows us to adapt. It allows us to slow down. It allows us that time. Now, this, this fight or flight is part of our parasympathetic nervous system. So there's danger here. So I'm either going to, I'm going to go straight in this automatic system that I'm either going to attack, which is our default setting. So anger is the default setting. I'm going to attack or I'm going to run. That's, that's how it works. Um, but there's something called the sympathetic, which is freeze, which we don't talk a lot about. Now, freeze comes from basically, it's usually when we're overwhelmed with um, somebody comes through the door with a shotgun, points it at you, you freeze. Why? Because <laughs> you don't know what to do. So the brain goes, well, I don't know. <laughs> I got no idea. Let's just stand here. And so what happens there is your heart rate drops. And that's the, that's the one that we want to do. So when I teach safety, um, the psychology of safety in, in organisations, um, you know, involved in robberies and things, so I, what do you do? You stop, you breathe, and then you act. And the two acts you do is, is, is stay or go, fight or flight. And so just learning to freeze is another great tool. Just know that when you're going into fight or flight, it's a normal reaction based on evolution that we no longer need but it's hardwired. So just again, coming back to the earlier conversation, the start of how the brain operates, understand that. And we've got a greater ability to say, shut up <laughs> and move on. Do you think we have an issue in the Western world with work-life balance? Yeah, look, um, and, and that's true. But um, so I, I've got this, uh, this, this little um, model called the balance wheel to show you where your life is and isn't balanced. But it really is a mindset change with, with balance. Um, it's into the Eastern world now, by the way. Uh, so it started off in Japan where they, they burn out. Is, so burnout around the world is recognized by the World Health Organization as the biggest workplace um, detriment. The, the biggest issue in workplaces is burnout because we are working too hard. But then why is it Eastern cultures can work really hard? Well, I'll tell you what's happening there as well. And it's all to do with technology. The technology is, is, is just distracting us from what we've always done. And so it's across the world, but Western cultures more so. Because we seem to be reluctant to talk with each other, because we don't have those embedded cultural, and you talked a lot around indigenous around the world. So I've worked with First Nation in Canada, and over here we have Maori, Maori people, um, and, and Aborigine in, in, in Australia. Um, 
and they they have a, they carry a legacy with them, right? So in in the United States, it's it's the um, uh, the indigenous population there, and, and it changes. You know, in America, in Canada, it's First Nation. I'm not sure what they call themselves now. Um, American Indian, or you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to offend anybody, but those indigenous cultures have always had a culture of sitting around and talking. They're no longer doing that, and so they've lost that. But they carry with them the legacy of pain and hurt. So we all have memory genes. Um, our genetic genetic dispositions come from our past, and because indigenous populations have a, they've have that hurt and pain that carries on with them. And that's why we're seeing this uprising at the moment around the, around the world because of this. So, yeah, but, but it is Western society to a lot because we didn't have that original concept of talking with each other. You know, people will be out there disagreeing with me right now. Great. <laughs> I like it. But we don't. And we know that this science is in people. The science is overwhelming. It's all got to do with simply the fact that we're not talking about things like we once did. We never did. We need to be more open. And that's the key to this. So, yeah, we live a busy world. We live a busy life. But we can adapt. We, we adapt better than rats and cockroaches. How do they know that rats and cockroaches have survived over time? Well, because people were there and we're studying back. But, you know, but that's all the creatures that were around in those days. Now there's humans. We are great adapters. And so we're going through the age of adaption, if you like right now yeah and it seems that people really try and avoid disagreements they either agree don't get involved or they disagree that much that it becomes a bit of a shout and match but we seem to have lost the ability to actually have two sides sit down listen yeah. talk and have accept the differences or maybe move on their point and the, the original point so it is a shame that one talking is one thing, but listening is another as well. Uh, for somebody to talk, someone needs to listen. Yeah, look, I um, I, I, so I, I am on social media, but but now I'm lucky. I've got people, work, my family work for me, my my daughters who are and my son who are all you know thirty and, and onwards. Um, and I, so I try and stay off social media a lot these days. Um, I go on Twitter just to just to look at some of the vile vitriol that's going on in there it really is a horrible place why because you only get so many characters so i've got a lot to say in a very short space and that's wrong because you don't get the opportunity to uh, say why unless you go and make a whole lot of and no one's going to read all that that thread no one's going to go i do because i'm old <laughs> but no one's going to read that and so we we end up getting our story across in short and sharp which causes you know, consternation, and everyone just starts to to argue with each other rather than listening rationally or thinking, oh, well, it, you know, maybe I should put that stream in there and put a thread in there. Uh, somebody came into, so I, I we're talking over here about arming the police, uh, and like the UK, we have not got armed police, and I don't want it ever to change. Uh, we do, we have we have the units that have got they've all they've all, all the cars have got guns in them, but not actually physically armed. And a couple of people came into the stream and ex-cops that I worked with and said, let the people who ride decide, right? So I let the people who are out there doing it decide. And and I started to take offense at it. And I went, what are you doing? Is all I'm doing is just giving their opinion. So even I got sucked into that. No, no, you're wrong. And it's just simply because we're doing too much social media. We're doing it. Uh, and it, um, there's, a, there's a quote I put, and I can't recall it, um, 
I, I found it and put it in my book around this. The girl, one of the people who was a developer of, of Facebook um, came out last year and said, we had an inkling of what might happen with social media that has a negative consequence as well as a positive, but we went ahead anyway, to my deep regret or something like that. I might have made that last little bit up. But certainly uh, they regret that they didn't make the attention of this could happen. So it's, yeah, we're finding it hard to agree with people, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, uh, Lance, just, just going to touch back on something that you said. Uh, may have been before we started recording. Um, you mentioned that New Zealand had uh, quite a high suicide rate uh, per capita. Now, the impression that we get of, of New Zealand over here, and I, I hope this doesn't offend you or doesn't offend anyone from New Zealand listening, is that it's quite a nice place to live. It's obviously very scenic, and you've got a lot of uh, good press around the Prime Minister and, and everything that's gone on there and the way you've handled uh, the tragedies and disasters that have, that have happened in the past well, decade, really. So I think when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that's a bit of a surprise that that's not that it that it wouldn't happen, but mm. when you get given no, that impression, that's quite yeah. That's a good question. I get asked that a lot. You know, it's, a, it's and it is a wonderful place, right? So it is a wonderful place. Um, uh, so what is skewing our stats the most is our indigenous population, young men, young Maori men, right? Young Maoris are, are, are they they are struggling. They really are struggling um, because they are they are a warring culture. They come from a culture of, of, of battles. Um, you know, we know before before the settlers come from the UK, before they come out here, um, they were warring, you know, the, the battles, the Maori wars, they call them. And, and so um, they've always been that way. Um, but New Zealand, and so that's skewing the stats. So we have similar stats to the UK, but um, it is a beautiful place. Uh, but the problem is we're isolated. Um, now, it's not just about getting out into talking with people around you. It's talking with people around the world. It's getting out to see other cultures and to see other things. And that brings us um, a greater ability to, to open up. And so, yes, we're very lucky that we are isolated, but some people feel that isolation's, that, that isolation too much. Because we're a small nation, 5 million people in the whole of New Zealand, in a, in a space that I think isn't it the same size as the whole of the UK by area? I think it is. It could be, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just similar, right? So we've got just five million people across the whole country. So we're spread out. Farming community and construction are the two areas that are really struggling with suicide at the moment. And so those are two areas. And why is it that? So um, it's a male dominated, so we know that. Um, but it's also those two industries are industries that uh, are affected by the weather, affected by um, the dollar, the international, you know, the monetary exchange, uh, and, and influences that we haven't. They're competitive, very, very competitive industries. Uh, the, the everything's been cut out of that these days. There's not the same profit that there once was. And so, yes, it is that wonderful place to live. Um, and yes, we do have. Uh, and we haven't had the, you know, we had a, a a protest march here recently about to stop wearing masks. Four people turned up. There was more seagulls than people. <laughs> right? And that's the kind. And so why? Well, 
It's it's and that's what the complex nature of suicide is. There's no one single thing. And that's why it requires a multifaceted, multidimensional, holistic, whatever term you want to use, approach to it. Because what works for me may not work for you and vice versa. Uh, and we are lucky. Look, and, and so we, we had an influx of, I think, 500 cops came over from the UK and into New Zealand. Some of them, um, about half of them, or whatever, only, only a third of them sort of assimilated and the rest went, went back home because our home is where our, our heart is and they didn't expect what they found here, the isolation. Hmm. So, you know, you can walk along a beach in New Zealand and, and be the only person on the beach. How cool is that? Yeah. Wow. Nah. <laughs> so we spent a lot of time inside our heads. It's not quite that. It's, I live in the biggest city in Auckland. It's 1.2 million. That's our biggest city, right? And it covers, I think, the same size as London. That's a uh, that's pretty. It's a lot of space to walk around there, isn't it? <laughs> and when we moan about the fact that you know, oh, I had to wait, you know, I had to drive into town. And it took me thirty minutes longer. <laughs> <laughs> really, sit in your car and just turn the radio and enjoy. You've written a number of books, um, mm. and obviously, I think your latest one is called "The Dark Side of the Brain." And from yeah. reading it, it's described as the loss of a close family member combined with your own experience of depression and how it kind of spared you on to share what you've learned and, and learned about how the brain works as well. Um, without being too intrusive, do you think you could talk us through your kind of manifestations of, of your own depression at all? Yeah, so it starts off, um, well, for me anyway, and it starts off the same for most people. Um, something happens in your life, um, you're filled with regret and remorse and working too hard, not looking after yourself. All of those sorts of things um, starts to build up on you. Can you hear my dog barking? I'm sorry about that. I can a little bit. It sounds very excited. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. It's the joys of, of doing this from home. Um, <laughs> something's upset here. <laughs> Hopefully it's um, she's attacking somebody and ripping them apart. Um, <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, so I, I started to, to work too hard. So my diagnosis was accumulated stress disorder. So I was telling myself I was stressed and I was living inside my head. And, you know, a few things happened in my work life and I was had all these things playing against me. And I was really, really concerned about um, what was going on but not doing anything about it. And so these things build up, catastrophization comes in. And I started noticing myself isolating. I started noticing. So I started to go to the gym. Uh, apparently exercise is good for you. So I was doing an hour gym, 10-hour day, hour run every day. And I worked for three years without a break because I was, every time I put in my – when I was in the police, I, I, I put in an application for leave, and they said, no, you can't have leave. We need you. And so it builds up on you. Now, something happened in my early life. This is something that comes that well, this is why I like psychology. Um, we have two types of stress, type one and type two. Type one's good for us, type two bad for us, chronic worry and, and that sort of stuff. So because something happened to me in my early childhood, I was seeing all stress, the good and the bad, as bad. And so that builds up. And so you start to isolate and you start to become overwhelmed. Sleep disappears, start to self-medicate. Um, you know, drinking to get and when drinking didn't work, um, it was taking those those pills that made you tired for you know for um, sinus 
<laughs> I had no sinus trouble when I when I had depression. <laughs> I was, well, that works. Um, but but you know, not sleeping properly, and so that's why it's those three things: talking, exercise, and and that's why I explain what exercise is. And then, so that's what's going on, and it just builds up. And the longer you have something inside your head, the worse it becomes, and the harder it is to reach out. And uh, so it manifests itself and, and just you become argumentative, you hurt the ones around you, and then something big happens. That's the thing. So it's we know that it's the little things that build up on us that are detrimental to our well-being. And we also know that it's one thing that will take us over that ledge, if you like. And that one thing for me was my the death of my mother. I was at her place um, the day before she died. I'd just become a crisis negotiator and I called and dropped. I had a trailer on when the pager went off. That, that, you know, I was towing something on the car. Dropped it off, go and do the call out, came back about five hours later just on dark, hooked the trailer up, and mum says, do you want to have a cup of tea? Um, we're big tea drinkers over here too, by the way. Oh, good, yeah. <laughs> and and um, I said, no, mum, I haven't got a chance. I'll catch up with you in the weekend. And she died the next day from a massive stroke. And so me being me, oh, that's life. And I didn't grieve. And so I started to suppress emotions like we do. Made everybody laugh at the funeral. Oh, he's handling that really well. And then one day I just had this massive breakdown. Um, I, I live in a very special part or lived in a very special part. And then you come over the hill and all you could see is the whole of Auckland. Blue sky. Um, I could see the, 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 the city over to one side. And I could see this island that's isolated. It's a volcano. Um, that's that out in the ocean thinking, wow, aren't I lucky? And then I just suddenly just thought of mum not being a, a there ever again and just couldn't stop crying for about 15 minutes. Had to pull the car over the side of the road and just burst into tears and just whew, everything came out. And then I was at work, um, didn't go and see anybody. I'm good now because yeah. <laughs> I've cried. What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I'm, I'm standing at this photocopier, right? So I'd been, I'd, um, police gave me a medal. So you get really busy to, to bury your thoughts. And police gave me a medal. Um, I was briefing one homicide. So I was a detective inspector by then, uh, briefing one homicide and um, and doing running another one. So I think the equivalent over there is a D super. So because you're your structure and your police, so I was about a D super running, you know, quite high up. And I'm and I'm doing all this this stuff and I'm photocopying. So here I am getting paid megabucks to photo and photocopies were invented by men they jam every third copy <laughs> <laughs> and i'm doing this and it's getting and i'm like and even i just suddenly i looked out the window and i went it's not high enough you've got to go higher I, it was just a thought and i went and i knew luckily what it was a suicidal ideation a thought of killing myself fight or flight i'm into the flight mode and so at that point believe it or not i actually went to a to a padre um, uh, and th th we have these, you know, ministers who come through, and and it just some of the, oh, he's just a good bloke. He was a good, you know, we call him a good bugger over here, good bastard. He was a good bastard, and, and so I went to speak to him and said, look, there's something going on, and, and you know, we prayed and we did all uh, some cool stuff, and he said, but you'd really need to do go and get you some help, uh, and so I did, um, and I went and got some help, and and never really looked back from there on and I and I've never slipped back I, a couple of times I have sort of gone down but I know straight away so I go what are you doing and I'm back up again and so once you've been there you never go back 
And this is one of the things that men find, and I found the same for myself. I also feared opening up because if I opened up, I won't be able to turn the tap off. But let me tell you this, you can turn the tap off. In fact, the tap's much easier to turn off than it is right now. Just finally, uh, I know we've, we've spoken about it before, and we've given a few hints and tips, but what would, you, what would your advice to anyone be who's suffering depression at the moment? What would your, your one bit of advice be first? Be kind to yourself, I think would be the first thing I'd say. Um, we're harder on ourselves than anyone else's because of the in, because of the inner critic, um, and and I wrote an article on it. So I, I wrote just short articles for for social media, LinkedIn, and, and those sorts of things. And um, and one of them I just wrote recently is called um, "Who's Who's Your Real Life Hero?" And for me, um, those people who are struggling are my real life heroes. Um, it's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to change your underpants. It's hard to go to the toilet. It's hard to go to the cupboard and get a can of soup and eat it. Don't worry about heating it up, just eat it. It's hard to go to the letterbox, right? That's my hero. Um, but, but one message would be that um, be, be that hero. Get up. Um, be gentle. Don't force yourself. Um, don't listen. You, 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 know, you know best. But if I could give you one message to be my true hero, my real-life hero, and that is to pick up the phone and call someone. That's it. Pick up the phone and call someone. Doesn't matter who you call, just do that. If you want to reach out to somebody, reach out to me. Come through my website and just say, I'm struggling. Um, I'll send you some information. I've got videos. We've got a YouTube channel, um, lots of free stuff on there. Well, there's one a video called Looking After Loved Ones. Um, it's a 20-minute video on on what we should do if we if we know somebody who's struggling, but it's also aimed at those who struggle. But yeah, you, you must take a step, um, and, and people may not know the position you're in, so you've got to go and reach out to them. So you know, be my continue to be my hero. Make that call. Welcome back. I've still got Ryan and I've still got Ant. Hope you enjoyed Lance's interview there, as as both the lads said before before we started the interview was very interesting something very different for us as well one of the themes that that i kind of wanted to pick up on from that was something that lance was saying sort of towards the end of that interview about overload of information and particularly in relation to social media and the internet and one one term that he uses sort of infinite opportunities for young people to to compare themselves and and rank themselves against other people I suppose, and it's a th it's something that's come up quite a lot. Social media on on these conversations, but more around sort of social media abuse and stuff. But I think that's a really interesting thing, and something that I think everyone should be aware of is the the kind of the damage that social media can do. I know Ryan, I know that's that's you had a little break from your Twitter at the back end of last year. Was that due to something similar, or was that how did you kind of come to that decision? Um, I think um, for me, I was just spending too much time on it, to tell you the truth, and it wasn't really conducive to how I should have been spending my time. I was just, it, it was not, there wasn't like one particular thing that had happened or one argument or anything like that. I think there was just a realisation of, I'm working from home, I'm, I'm on a computer all day. I don't need to then go and spend three, four hours scrolling through Twitter, having conversations which are often inflammatory. 
about differences differences of opinion on football or something else. And just got to the point where I thought, just take a little break from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have recently gone back and I feel like I use it less, although I still use it. But I enjoy it a little bit more now. It's not something where I have to be constantly back and forth unless I'm maybe engaged in a, a conversation and I'll leave it to the next day. But I, I, it's weird you don't realise how much time you spend on it. It just sort of happens. And then before you know it, you've been scrolling for 45 minutes and then it's that period where you go back half an hour later and you scroll through pretty much the same things. You see 10 new things and then you're back to scrolling what you were scrolling through and you're like, what am I doing? Like, so many better things I could be doing with my time. And you see it, like, I'm quite conscious of it, like, around my nephew. So sometimes you, like, say he would, obviously can't at the moment, but in the past when he's been at our house, and then you look around and the adults can be on the phone. I try and snap myself out of it. Oh, hold on a minute, he's like a sponge. He shouldn't be seeing that. He should be seeing people engage and talking. And I think I think we're all guilty of it. We've all lost our way a little bit. And it's just, it's just a, a distraction that, a phones are powerful tools. They're very useful. Um, they won't go away. We'll have them forever. But I think managing how much you use them and what you subject yourself to is is important. And start to, especially at the moment when a lot of people are isolated, we are relying on our phones and computers to communicate. I get that. But when things do slowly return to normal, we can't forget the means of communicating face-to-face and the importance of having a conversation with someone and looking them in the eyes and having that conversation and being in the conversation, not just mm. participating and it's it's sort of going on. You're looking down on your phone saying, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like actually having a conversation with someone, something meaningful and actually listening to them as well. Uh, so, yeah, for me, I just, I just sort of took a bit of time away from it and I'd recommend it. I think you've done the same, haven't you, Dan? Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been off off the socials and, and out of most of the WhatsApp groups as well that I was in since I think around Christmas time. Um yeah, I just find it just it it's the problem with like with, with Twitter I kinda got, particularly with doing the podcast and that, it just becomes very obsessive continually going back to it and checking, you know, are people interacting with, with what we're tweeting and you know, are, are people you know, are people asked about what I've got to say and that type of thing. And I just don't think it's that healthy and and then when you, you you have a look, there's that thing, isn't it? When you scroll down it and it comes up with how many tweets you've done and it's, mine's at like 50,000 or something ridiculous like that over, I think it's over like 14 years or something, but still, it just you just kind of, you just kind of look at it. It's just like, that is absolutely ridiculous. Like nobody needs to hear that much from me. Like it's not necessary. So I just save it exclusively for the man marking chaps WhatsApp group now, um, which, is, which is probably not great for you too. But there you go. Such is life, um, but yeah, I think you are right, Ryan. I think being involved in that conversation as a part, uh, as opposed to just being there when the conversation is happening, I think that's really important. One thing that I do is because I use my phone a lot at work to 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 talk to our staff, so it, it's difficult for me to not use my phone. But what I've what I've started doing is downloading WhatsApp Web onto whichever computer I'm using. And then using it on there instead of being on the phone. So I'm only on one screen rather than jumping between them, which stops me getting distracted by by my phone. And then I tend to just, if my phone dies of an evening, unless I've got to use it for something, like I've got something like like one of our episodes on, I tend to just leave it on the table. So, you know, if it's got 6 or 7% on it, I'll just leave it on the table away from where I'm sitting. And it just removes it from being involved in your evening. Because it's like, I don't really need it. If anyone needs to contact me, they can ring me and then the phone will ring or they'll ring my girlfriend who sat next to me. 
because I think what is what is it that anyone's going to need me for really at like nine o'clock on a Thursday evening or something? It's not going to be that important. I but think there's people loads are... of funny videos. <laughs> I can catch up on them at a later date. Oh, okay. Note to self, and if your house is on fire and you need help, yeah. don't, don't pick I mean, greedy. I mean, in fairness, if your house is on fire, <laughs> phone the fire brigade. Yeah, I wouldn't be very right. Yeah, be but what if we've got an episode and we need to let you know? Oh, I'm, not, I'm going to be like me. <laughs> but a bit of an issue, are you? It's all right. I'm sure I'll smell the sulfur, won't I? Yeah. yeah. So I just, um, you know, on the the parent thing Ryan said before, I, I think it is, it's quite difficult um, because when you, you've got to, you've got to be a parent all day. Like say you're looking after, looking after your child all day. I, I, there is quite this, like I've seen like a few things, you know, you get them garbage things on like Facebook and stuff um, where it's like just shaming them, shaming the parents for going on the phone. Mm. It, I agree. Like you, you kind of need to be there and, 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 and stuff like that. But there is that, little break where you can just go right he's just playing over there i can just go on my phone for a little bit mm. so it is difficult but i do know what what you mean if you're on it all the time just um your phones kind of tell you the whole truth now as well don't they so you've got like screen times and stuff so i've just gone on mine um <laughs> when you're going on about like social media so last week my um use of social media um for twitter alone was 10 hours and 50 minutes which i don't think is that bad but it's still quite a lot, isn't it? You know, the, the reliance on it. And if I could tell you what I, I locked at in those 10 hours and 50 minutes, I probably couldn't. <laughs> um, so, you know, when you you can imagine it, like say you watch 10 hours and 50 minutes of television, you could probably remember a lot of things about it. Whereas that is just absolute throwaway content. And it's the same with WhatsApp. It's like 12 hours on here, apparently, last week. <laughs> and you're thinking, how's that, how's that happened? But it, like Ryan said, it's the only way you can kind of communicate at the moment is is like that you know you haven't got people coming around your house it's it's going to be a lot different when that happens it'll probably be a big release for some some people it is a it's a difficult thing to manage um i've never found it too bad um twitter particularly but i do try and cultivate my twitter to being quite nice um <laughs> is that so, why you unfollowed me many years ago <laughs> no no that was a different reason um <laughs> no it's just it's just difficult isn't it because twitter it, it you can cultivate it as much as you want but someone will like something absolutely stupid like i don't know some annoying debate from this morning that i sent you the other week <laughs> and it'll just annoy you for the rest of the day but it, it, it can be really fun as well so i sent i think i sent a video to you last night down about um like entrances into work yes. and how it's like a, a big um, boxing ring entrance into work and it's, yeah. it's absolutely hilarious. Like it's great. I would like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll forward it to you, right? You know what's funny though when you say when you say that, uh, Paul, and you say about like the ten hours, and let's be honest, it's not going to go down to zero unless you do something dramatic. But it's funny, to, like, I've had a guitar for about seven years, never learned it. Say, say I'm probably similar. Hang on a minute, this is, new, this is new. Have you got a, you you a guitar? Got a, you got a guitar. It, exactly, that, that tells you all you need to know. You would never know, so I can't play it. But if I put six or seven hours of those Twitter phone hours into learning a guitar, I'd probably be brilliant. But it's just <laughs> yeah. so easy to pick your phone up and go, I just can't, just scroll my phone. Doesn't yeah. doesn't need much effort. I just scroll that's, through and just... That's a really good point, that, right? I was, I've just, just while we were on, I was Googling what the sort of average screen time was for the, for the UK. Um, 
and apparently according to a survey by a company called Code Computer Love, it's a great name. Yeah. Great name for a company. Um, the average screen time in the UK is three hours and 23 minutes a day, which equates to 50 days a year. Um, <clears throat> mine's, du- mine's double that, apparently. So I'm 100 days a year. Yeah, it wasn't yours over a week, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but it was like six hours a day. Crikey. 10 hours for the week. Ten yeah, it was 10 hours for the week, but it's like six hours screen time for the day. So it was like 10 Oh, hours. right, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blimey. Yeah, so... Something needs to change. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing I've not, I always notice when, when, when I've, I go, because I've, I've done coming off social media before, I did it for about six months. And one thing I notice is I it give, I, I find myself reading more because I, when I get yeah. into bed or when I wake up, there's nothing to look at on my phone because I don't have Twitter, which is such an easy out when you wake up in the morning, when you just, you know, before you go and get ready for work. Whereas, when you don't have it, you're like, I need to do something else. And I tend, I found myself, like I bought a, an absolute shed load of books recently and I found myself reading a lot more. And I actually read a book about tech and social media and, and its invasiveness to democracy as well, which was which was really interesting. But that's that I find that as well. It gives you that, you're talking about the guitar there, Ryan, the mystery guitar. Um, it gives you kind of more space for that sort of thing. I see you've got your hand up, Ryan. That's an yeah, interesting Yeah, I think feature. you make another the, the point you make there, Dan, about reading and stuff as well is it's like when we're talking <laughs> about mental health, we always talk about how important sleep is. And I think Lance touched on it as well. Yeah. Like looking at your phone before bed isn't conducive for a good night's sleep. You're stimulating parts of your brain when you're trying to s- slow down. I don't I've know never, about you boys, I've but I read the book. And I, I'm knackered if I'm reading the book in bed. Like I got like two pages in, and I'm like a little baby. I'm like, my head goes in everything. So I think, obviously, you've just said and you don't get that. I, I've, I, like, I found I found the same thing. Like reading my phone in bed just makes me really, really tired. I feel like you're sponsored by Google or something. I know. Today. I'm sorry, yeah. but yeah, no. I, I, it's funny it's how Ants is actually short for Apple. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, a, it's, I don't know, it's just, it just must be me. Because I always got told that, like, I oh, don't read your phone in bed, it keeps you awake. And I was like, it, it really doesn't. <laughs> and, I, 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 think, I, think, I think some of it as well is more to do with, not so much that it keeps you awake, it's about how you sleep afterwards, isn't it? Because of the because of because of the way that it's as Ryan said stimulates party brain. None of us are neuroscientists, so we probably shouldn't REM sleep. Yeah, pure REM yeah, sleep. All that. I think we should try and go and get you know them old like Nokia phones with no apps or anything and see how we get on for the week. Mate, we'll be up all night playing Snake. That's <laughs> the problem. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> it's interesting that Ryan, you're talking about sleep because Lance was saying the three main things that are good for he was talking about three primary things that are good for for your mental health and for your mental well being are communication exercise and sleep which are three things that i mean communication and exercise particularly we've talked about we've we spoken about running quite a lot we did with with christian walsh didn't we about how how useful that was for his mental health and communication our hashtag is obviously ways to talk and lads and that's that's exactly what we're trying to promote and lance talks about that as well and sleep as you say ryan is is massive to that is it's hugely important how much sleep you get and i think it's not just about the time that you go to sleep it's about the quality of your sleep yeah. as, as well as you say and trying to learn about things that are good for you 
to be able to have a good sleep, I think, is really important. And a lot of it's dead simple stuff. Yeah. And and, it, and the other stuff comes into it. Exercise, you know, even if you just go out and go for a little walk for, for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, there are the benefits that come from that. But also, it will tire you out a little bit more, which means you'll probably sleep better and feel better the next day. And and, and it's yeah. a sort of self-improvement cycle then as well. And like, it, that we, old, like that old thing where, oh, get a bit of fresh air in your lad. Oh, you'll sleep tonight. You'll sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Warnock again? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but what, he, what he did, Dan, what I thought was very good, Lance, and probably the reason why I try and buy his book as well, is he, he broke things down, made them very simple, little tips. And I think part of the battle a lot of people have is just understanding why they're feeling low or understanding why they're feeling anxious. And if you can start to understand it a little bit more, not to say you'll be good or ill feeling, but it will help you sort of put mechanisms in place where you go, okay, I'm feeling a bit anxious and overwhelmed at the moment. Let me strip it back. What, what have I got on? Okay, work, stressful. Okay, so I, I can go and speak to my boss or it might be that you're anxious about money so you can look at, you can see your money situation. If you slow your thinking down and you start looking at what are all the variables that contribute to how you're feeling, you can slowly start to pick at them so you feel a bit better. And I think that's what Lance did. He, he really, he put it in layman's terms why your brain thinks like a certain way and Often it's just evolution and it's mm. things that we no longer need, but we still feel. It's just a natural reaction to hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. And I think he was quite good at saying to you, you, you might get anxious in this situation because of this. That might be fight or flight. You might be profusely sweating because of this. It, like little things that you don't understand, the more you understand them, the easier they become to deal with. And yeah, I think that's great. that's a really good point, that, Ryan. It's like, I think often with, with things like, mental health and, and with anxiety and depression and stuff it seems like this huge big sort of homogenous massive it's like oh god that's too big for me to tackle but i think that the, the better way to try and look at it is break it down into into little parts and tackle them little piece by little piece yeah. rather than looking at taking it all in in one big chunk because as you say there are things like you know i'm stressed at work or this and that and it might come down to maybe you're not getting enough sleep and then you might get enough sleep or you might start eating better do a bit of exercise communicate a bit more maybe have a little bit less screen time maybe do something different whatever it might be and that might make you feel a little bit better or might also just give you the space in your brain to be able to then tackle the other things that are going on and maybe some more deep-rooted issues that you might need to discuss but you're finding it hard to have the, the the brain space to be able to tackle those and, and think about them and communicate them to to everybody else. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway I took from what what Lance was talking about. Yeah. Was that you know that everything can it can seem a bit scary and it can seem a bit daunting and overwhelming all the things all at once. But if you start to break them down into the constituent parts, it can make it a little bit easier. And it doesn't you don't necessarily have to solve everything. It's you know you're not necessarily yeah. having to to get everything right and know everything. But I think you can just improve small parts of, of your life. It can make a massive difference to you and then will give you maybe the, the you know the confidence and the space to be able to tackle some of the other bigger things as well. Well it snowballs, doesn't it? If you if you're getting more sleep and then you're more productive from work and then you're less stressed about your job and then you do better in your job, you might be more secure money wise and all those things. And I think Lance does that in his job, doesn't he? He'd be you take a, a situation, you might see somebody on a bridge or you might see somebody in a perilous situation, but he has to break that down into minute sections. Hey, first and foremost, what's the level of communication we have with that person? What's the current state? How much are they engaged? And he breaks it down to bite-sized pieces and he deals with them one by one. Um, 
so yeah, that, that, I'm like you, that, that was my biggest takeaway from it, put into little chunks that are easy to digest for yourself. I yeah. think that, you know, the opportunities to like compare, um, it's like that, I said it before, before Lance's interview started, it, it, we've got this big thing now, particularly on social media, where we are just comparing what countries are doing better than, than others. And it, for one, I can see the reason why we're doing that as a political kind of standpoint, not that I think politics should be done on Twitter, but the it is difficult if you're just viewing it from like the green, green grass, like it, it's not always like that. And, and Lance explains that really well. And, it, you know, it's it's not not easy um, for New Zealand at the moment, really, that they're, they're doing really well in what they've done. They're hemorrhaging a lot of money. The economy is not great like everywhere else. They're still facing the same issues that we are in a much smaller population. Um, so those issues are, are quite big. Um, and also there's a big clash of cultures, which is very similar to what we're going through at the moment and what we've been through for a number and number of years. So it's not always great to, to just go and compare and go, oh, that looks really good. Um, so I think whilst you get those opportunities on social media, you've got to do a little bit more digging and go, actually, what is it actually like? You know, a lot of people, particularly with the, the influencers that we talked about a few weeks back, are going, oh, they've got a great life. They get to go to Dubai, which is which is brilliant. But obviously Dubai does have these like certain rules that you can do and you can't do. It's not always glamorous, not always great. Um, so it it is really, it's quite fascinating really how we can just go, oh, there's this brilliant thing. I think there was a video going around of um, the New Zealand Prime Minister um, where she was at like a, a rock concert and everyone was like, oh God, look at this, brilliant. And someone went, it was from like two years ago. What, mm. what are you doing? Like, how's this got that far? I think there's a recent one where she's at a barbecue, which is more, obviously more recent. But again, it's like, we're not there yet. We we know we're not there yet. Why are we doing this? It's just stop peeking through the way. Yeah. The- it's checking <laughs> you. Like, Checking your sources and varying yeah. your sources as well, isn't it? So you're getting a balanced information because yeah. I think it makes people. I mean, this is a this is a, a conversation for another another episode, but it does make people very tribal, that type of thing. Yeah. Ryan, you've you've used the raised hand feature <laughs> again, mate. Yeah, and I don't want to ramble on too much, but just in relation to what you're saying, and do you boys think in the current climate, though, without using misinformation, that media maybe has a responsibility to not scare people too much i'm talking about you've got people trapped in their homes at the moment absolutely reading the news on a constant loop and i'd say every almost 90 percent of what you read is negative now there was a thing i saw on twitter called the coronavirus good news which i followed because it was quite nice to read when something positive had happened i do think at the moment it's not measured the impact of what media says and, and how it affects people people waking up every day saying i'm going to lose my job we're hitting a depression the vaccine could be here for two years. I can't go on holiday. I can't see my family. Christmas is, was just recently cancelled. Like, it, it's overwhelming for people. And I do yeah. think they need to almost be careful on how negative they make what people are reading. Because people it's, di- are it's, it's, it's difficult, it's, isn't it? Because, it's a balancing act, isn't it, I think? Yeah, because, you, it, because I think they've they've got to report. Things have got to be reported. That's like a, like a sort of journalistic standard, isn't it? But yeah. I, I, I know what you mean, right? Because I, I was saying to, to my brother the other day, I was talking to my brother the other day, and I, I, was, I said to him, I was like, just read, just open up any like major news, like, you know, the Guardian or the Independence or the Times or whatever it might be, open up their website and just read like the, the, the headlines, like the top mm-hmm. 10, 15 very, headlines. Very it, sensationalized. 
it, oh, it, well, it's a big it, issue. It's less about the sensational. It depends. I mean, that depends obviously where you get your news from. But well, no, there's I, more I just some of just some. There's just the the content. So I said to him, I was like, honestly, I said I can't. I said I open it now. If I if I read the, the news, I'll open it and scroll down to like where the sort of opinion pieces or the lighter pieces or that sort of thing yeah. are, because it's just. You open it and you're like, oh Christ, the world is on fire. I'm just going to stay at home. And do you know what? You don't like you if if you don't know what's going to happen, they shouldn't really report on saying like, oh, it could take ten years to get better because that does nothing for no one. If you, if you know lockdown's extended by a month and that's the fact, or well, that's going to happen, then by all means you've got to report. I'm not inform people, but I'm sick of stuff that's like this could take six years to go on your next holiday and all. If you don't know, just leave it till you do know because it's not doing anyone a favour. Mm, I'm like, yeah. there's actually a lot of good news out there at the moment. Like, I was reading the other day, it was on an lecture I was watching, someone was saying people are being lifted out of poverty across the world at a faster rate than ever before. Like, there's loads of good news out there that you just never actually hear of because media's under so much pressure at the moment to sell papers and to sell articles because it's a di- media is dying in a sense of people mm. aren't going to shop and buying a newspaper like they used to so they need to draw you in somehow and unfortunately negative news draws people in more than positive but i do think they have a responsibility to not scare the nation beyond beyond repair where people are actually damaging themselves because off the I, back of it i think that's why when i buy a paper i just turn to the back pages and then read the sports and don't bother with anything else. But then yeah. it's really like, oh my god, Messi's going to Man City. Like, I oh. thought you were going to say that's why I turned to the crossword and do the do the crossword. Absolutely not. Absolute dad, absolute dad behaviour from you, Ant. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's not. I mean, it's not an audio visual feature. But Ryan has now popped his glasses on. <laughs> in it. In a, in, a, in a crossword doing motion, lads. I'm going to wrap us up there just because I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to. Be, I mean, there's there's so many things that we've discussed there that I think are probably worthy of their own their own conversation, um, which we can definitely have, because I think there's there's so much interesting stuff to, to pick up on there. But yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna wrap us up there, chaps. Thanks thanks both both for you for for your time and for your for your insights. I think a lot of useful stuff there that we've we've discussed. So that was that was absolutely brilliant. And thanks to you, the listener, for for joining us. Before we we finish, we 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 always have a, a quick fire which which we'll sort of get to. And I'm gonna let Ant kind of intro the, the the quick fire very very briefly in a moment but, um, before we get to that I, if you want to get in touch with us our twitter is at marking underscore man and if you want to email us our email address is manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com and if you have enjoyed this episode or any of the others that we've done then hop on to to itunes to apple podcasts give us a, a rating and a review five stars if you if you could that would be fantastic and then our next episode is with Ali Buchanan on Friday. So before we wrap up, Ant, in place of the normal quick fire, um, do you wanna do you wanna sort of give a, a little bit of a brief interlude, a bit of a bit of an introduction to to one earth was going through your mind when you asked this question to Lance? Oh God. Um so let me just state this isn't Lance's fault. This is completely my fault, which you're gonna understand in a minute. Um, Exceptionally I, clear from the clip, that part of it. To be yeah, honest. I, I, I quite like doing jokes, and I, I can do a few good dad jokes as well. Um, obviously, Lance worked in the in the police, and my <laughs> my, my, my brain <laughs> my brain decided to try and make a joke about Sting, um, because Sting was in the band called the Police, and um, 
in my head it went really well and i think people have probably had these jokes before normally when the half cut in like a bar somewhere and then it all goes a bit pete tong um and yeah i said <laughs> i said how did you feel when sting left the police and it just never went very well and you're gonna hear it in a minute and i'm not gonna be able to listen to it because it's one of the most um awkward moments of my life and i can even see ryan laughing at me right now just thinking of it i genuinely haven't been able to listen to it back right uh, danny put it in the group the other day and i listened to about two, two seconds of it and i couldn't do it and Man, i i can't even i struggle to listen to it and it, it wasn't even me who said the joke it's, it's just so awkward because i ran I it, love ba- it i ran it past <laughs> i ran it past danny and ryan and they were like yeah yeah go on do it yeah it'd be funny i'm not convinced that's what we <laughs> said. Not I, barely said, I didn't get it i barely said we said <laughs> i haven't got a clue what that means but you know you go for it you go for it chat like when you put a, a kid's drawing on the fridge <laughs> God, it was so bad yeah anyway you, you can you can enjoy this or wince at it whatever it's absolute car crash yeah podcasting absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um yeah we're gonna leave you with that enjoy and uh, we'll see you on friday thanks for listening uh lance the next one's a bit silly um <laughs> uh, how gutted were you when sting left <laughs> when who left sting oh really yeah um... <laughs> Oh, look, yeah, I I wasn't um wasn't that gutted to be honest. <laughs> Sorry. That's a terrible joke. Um, yeah, yeah, no, look, it obviously is, but yeah, <laughs> I've got an opinion. I've got an opinion of him. Um, he means well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, well as, well. he, he meant as well as my joke. I think. Yeah, no, 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 no. Look, I, I it's probably an inside joke, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we all have our opinions of, of things and people, but uh, yeah, like I, I, I'm, I'm, a say, I, I'm saying that I like some of the stuff and, and not some of the stuff, right? Yeah, I was probably more, I was more hurt when the Stig left. <laughs> now that's my joke. Yeah, <laughs> the Stig, you know, um, I was more hurt because then the other Stig, well, we know he's a different one. <laughs> what a show. 